Can you think of an example in your life of something that you've experienced a massive change in, but regardless, you've just kept to your old habits? Perhaps actually as we've been working our way through Ephesians in, in our rooted groups as a church or throughout the month of August, you've been convicted of something but you've become frustrated that no difference has emerged. That's really annoying, isn't it? When you know that a change should be coming but nothing happens. But guess what? That's not unusual for us as believers. We love the old ways and change is one of the hardest things to embrace and it's one of the hardest things to action. Changes require ongoing care and attention and those that require more care and attention, well, they're even harder to achieve. One of the changes that happens in the life of someone as they trust in Christ is that they stop being part of the old world and um, they become part of God's family. One of the changes is that we cease to be individuals as we knew it before and we become part of this collective, the church, the household of God. And that means things need to change in how we live, but that doesn't mean the changes are going to be easy. I'm going to read again. I feel like getting to the end of this month, it has proven which my favourite chapter in the book of Ephesians is. But I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll look at verses 1 through to 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I, Paul, urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Remember that there are tyrants Tyrants at work that would rather see us dead. Dead, disconnected from God, the source of all good and life. Remember chapter 2, verses 1, 2 and 3, that speaks about the powers of the world, of Satan, the accuser, and even our own sinful, selfish selves that there are at least those three things that would rather us be dead than alive in Christ. They would rather us be on our own than united to him and with one another, that continue to be at war with us, seeking to undermine the work of Jesus and in the face of the gospel that brings truth that they would want and prefer to speak and spout lies. One of the things that we rarely consider in our individualistic world is the fruit of unity that is supposed to be born when the gospel takes root in our lives. Paul 
in chapters 1, 2, and 3 has been at pains to speak about the oneness that comes from being in Christ and under Christ. How Christ longs to be a God who rules over a united brought together world of how the the two the jew and the gentile now have this one common way and an equal seats at the table of the father and here in chapter four he puts it in this wonderful declaration filled with ones after all there is one body not two not three not four one in christ there is one spirit we all have one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. You can see and feel the cumulative weight of it, can't you? That Paul wants us to know and to value and to appreciate the oneness that is ours as a people brought together under Christ by the Spirit. This oneness is supposed to be a reality that exists because of what Jesus has achieved. What has Jesus achieved, we might ask? Well, he's achieved forgiveness for the guilty. He's achieved acceptance for the rejected. He's um, achieved hope for the hopeless. He's achieved oneness for a people that he invites in. And... One of the strange things in chapter 4 to me is that he expects that oneness, that unity, to be something that is a struggle for us as believers. In verse 2, he just lists a couple of things which should be true um, in us, like we were considering last week, the sorts of things we need to be putting on Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with in love. But verse 3 says this. Make every effort. Strive. Fight for unity. The unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Why when he speaks about unity does he use that elevated language? It's because he expects unity to be a struggle for each and every one of us. You know, at the end of the book, he concludes, we looked at this last week as well, with that language and that imagery of war. And I spoke about, and Paul speaks about these tyrants, these in opposition to God who would seek to undermine and undo him. And you know, there is no greater way in many senses for the enemy to pick apart the work of Christ than to sow the seeds of disunity in the church. If the gospel as Paul has had it revealed to him is the bringing together, is the joining together, is the uniting of the many, of the separate, of the cast out, then how wonderful the work of the enemy would seem if he could get those people who have been brought close together to splinter and to separate again. Our experience measures up with this, I think. Our experiences measure up with the fact that life in Christ is not always easy going when we speak about the relationships we have with other people. 
it's disappointing, but it's true. It's true that we let one another down, that others let us down. And so I really, really value this portion, this passage from Paul, which calls a spade a spade, helps us, prepares us to see and to think about and to consider how it is that we might respond when we're faced with these difficulties. When we come face to face with, with the, the temptation to separate rather than to stay united. You see, Jesus is one who wants to bring about closeness in his people. Jesus isn't satisfied when we sort of say, well, I'm forgiven in Christ, you're forgiven in Christ, so we'll go our own separate ways. No, Jesus wants the gospel to be so transforming our relationships, so transforming our attitudes towards one another, that we will fight even when it is uncomfortable to be one in him. Make every effort to keep the unity of peace in the spirit. It's hard work. It is hard work because we will regularly be let down and let one another down. But it is so, so worth it. In chapter 3, he speaks about the unity that exists within the church as being like a megaphone. A megaphone to all those in the heavenly realms who oppose God about his wisdom and about his glory and about his greatness. Paul speaks of his own calling as being part of that of going and inviting the Gentiles in to unify this one people. Verse 10 in chapter 3 says, God's intent was that now, through the church, through the unity that exists, that the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. We're quite comfortable thinking about creation, as declaring the greatness, the grandeur, the goodness of God. We look to the stars, we look to the mountains, we look to the seas as sort of windows into God and just his otherness. Do we ever consider how we live in relationship with one another to be a window into a declaring his wisdom and his glory. You see, it is so hard, but it's so, so worth it. So what does that mean for us then? If we're called to be a united people and Paul here encourages us to strive in that direction because he knows that reality is hard. Well, I think first and foremost, we can say this, that forewarned, is forearmed, isn't it? If you haven't been let down by someone so far in your Christian walk in church life, then thank goodness, praise God, hallelujah. But know this, it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time because Christians, though 
made different in Jesus, though growing in our righteousness and holiness and um, living life more like Christ, we're not each and every one of us there yet, are we? We're being transformed, but that's still a process, that's still a journey. So you will be, you will be let down by someone sooner rather than later. It might just be someone in the pews next to you. It might be a pastor or a leader, someone that you look up to. You know, our world is full of stories of celebrities in the Christian world falling and failing, of having taken advantage of an abused position and power. That's just a sad, sad reality. And I thank Paul that he forewarns and he forearms us. So that when those letdowns, when those disappointments come, they needn't sink us and sink our faith. It is only a matter of time before someone lets us down. But more than that, here's another truth bomb, a reality bomb. If you haven't let someone else down so far, praise God again. But once more, it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time until you find yourself in that situation where you know the Spirit of God in work, that at work in you is calling you to say something or do something for the benefit of a brother or sister and for some reason you resist, some reason you hold back and guilt will come in, guilt will flood in, the enemy will latch onto that so joyfully like a dog with a bone. You can't be a Christian, can you, when you've neglected to love and to care and show kindness and compassion and grace to your fellow believer. Perhaps it won't be withholding those things that we should be willing to give one another. Perhaps it will be snapping. Perhaps it will be judging. Perhaps it will be bitterness and envy which well up within us and again. Praise God if you haven't let someone down in those ways yet, but you will. And when you do, the enemy will be thrilled to latch on and to pick apart and to undermine and make that to be a reason why there is a separation rather than a unity. It's only a matter of time. It's so useful to know, I think this morning, that unity is something that we have to fight for, that we have to chase after that we have to grab onto and cling to and desire and to to not create because christ has created it but to nourish and water and tend like a fragile plant so how do we do that well i think the verses beforehand give us a very uh, good clue we need to be a people who are humble a humble people thinks more of others than they think of themselves. That's not to say that we think of ourselves lowly, that we have to keep on saying, oh, I'm rubbish, oh, I'm rubbish, oh, I'm rubbish. We just don't think about ourselves as much as we think about those around us. The gospel calls us to be humble. Christ wasn't thinking about his own status his own glory, his own riches, when he emptied himself of all of those things for our sake. Do you know, if we want to be a people who are pursuing unity, 
then we'll think of ourselves. Yes, we'll, we'll chase humility because disharmony, disunity is so much harder um, to occur in a place where folks are humble and putting one another first. Be patient. I think when we are humble, when we think less of ourselves, think about ourselves less and think about others more, we need to be realistic about one another. And when we're realistic about one another, it will mean that we need to be patient. How patient? Well, again, the example for us is in Christ. The example for us is in God, our Father. To him, a thousand years is like a day. He is a long-suffering God. He is someone who is willing to wait and to work and to nourish and to tend, waiting for food to grow up. So we need to be patient with one another, acknowledging that we are, each and every one of us, a work in progress. That there are shoots emerging from the soil, even if the flowers are yet to blossom, even if the fruit is yet to hang heavy on the branches. It's to bear with one another in love. Sometimes we think of love as this um, mushy, sentimental, romantic, sexual feeling. And it does have that sense in our lives and in our world. But as well, the Bible portrays love as being this deliberate act, this intentional counting of cost for the sake of others. Be humble, be patient, bear with love, knowing that to pursue unity amongst God's people is going to be costly. It's going to take time. And it's going to mean thinking of others more than we think of ourselves. So I love these verses because I know, I know that we will at some point in the near future, the distant future, find each other, uh, find ourselves at odds with one another. We will at certain points find ourselves feeling left out. We will at certain points feel tempted to live our lives in splendid isolation from who it is that God has called us into relationship with. But Paul says, following after Christ, make every effort, pursue unity, cherish unity as this fruit, as this declaration of the truth of what Jesus has achieved and is achieving. I'm just going to throw one thing out there as uh, like, a, like a tangible point of action. Next Sunday, the first Sunday evening in September, we're going to be having an all-together prayer meeting. And perhaps you're sat there and you're thinking, I just don't see the point. I just don't see the point in spending time of coming together, of bowing together before God, seeking him and lifting up the term ahead well, I think that's part of our unity. That we, we can't really call ourselves one people unless, like those earliest believers in the book of Acts, we come together and we lift up with one voice our prayers, our petitions, our thanks to our great and glorious God. So my challenge to you, for whatever reason it is that you might stay away for unity's sake, 
come forward, come out, come and be a part of that praying together. We're going to have things like food for children and the youth and, and, and a distraction for them so that we can be focused and united in prayer. We're going to be thinking about what it is we're going to be studying in the new term in our rooted groups, which again, tangible action you could join and be a part of. A cost to you, a benefit to you, but perhaps a cost to you for the benefit of those who you end up in relation with. So come along. Don't stay in that splendid isolation. Don't live at odds with the rest of God's people. Don't somehow manufacture a scenario where you feel left out in the church context. But strive for unity. Put yourself out there. Put yourself in harm's way and come and be a part of God's people. Humbly, gently, patiently bearing with love after Christ for his glory. Let me pray for us, Lord God. It is madness to us in many senses that you would seek to uh, lift up your own name through the lives and witness of a people who would so often drag your name through the mud. But there it is, you are wise and we are not. What is foolishness to us? Pinning your fame and your glory on our broken lives, on our messy lives, on our frail and fractured lives. Lord, it seems like foolishness, foolishness, but it is your wisdom and it is your glory. And so I pray for us as your church in this place, a people you have called together and called together in a special way in this local church. I pray that we would fight for unity that we wouldn't take our association with one another as something light to be taken for granted, that we wouldn't be quick to separate when things are hard, when things are inconvenient, when others have let us down. We wouldn't be quick to, to isolate and shut ourselves off when we've let others down, but we would let that unity, that bond of peace, that one body and spirit and hope and Lord and faith and baptism and God and Father who is above all, that we will let it marinate, that we will let it consume and take over who it is that we are. Lord, we want to be a people who are marked out with the oneness that comes through Christ. Help us, Lord, as we chase that goal down. For your glory. Amen.